In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about (laughs) embarrassing realizations. Power teams, our own exorcism rites, and grumpy Dobby the house elf in our discussion of My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors, and it's full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendricks. <laughs> Standard disclaimer, if you haven't read this book or watched the movie, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened or watched and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book or watch the movie, then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Though to be fair, the movie's a little bit different. Oh, oh, we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this. It's happening. We're getting into okay, it. Okay, good. Good. But for now. But for now. For now. Let's go back in time. To the background information. Okay. So I read an article on scifipulse.net called Grady Hendrix on his career, Satanic Panics, and his novel My Best Friend's Exorcism. And they were talking about exorcisms. I would hope so. Obviously. So I want to read you this bit that I pulled. In so many exorcism books and movies, it's basically the story of some old guys tying a young girl to her bed and yelling at her for hours. The demoniac, the possessed person, doesn't matter. In The Exorcist, we don't know much about Reagan because she's irrelevant to that story. Instead, it's about the demon testing the priest's faith, using the demoniac as a vessel. So, I wanted to focus on the experience of the demoniac. Then, I had to deal with the fact that faith is central to exorcism stories. But, I don't think religious faith is as powerful now as it was in the past. So, I had to find something that people would believe in just as strongly. And the obvious answer was their friends. He goes on to say, My friends in high school saved my life more than once. And that age is when friendships are at their strongest. So that meant it had to be set in high school. And the high school experience I know best is one from the 80s. So the story really came together in a series of logical steps once I thought it through. But that line about friends. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Can I say now, one of my favorite things about this book is that it's not a romance, that it's actually about friendship. Yes. Of course you can. There you go. That's my initial thought. There you go. Yeah. Um... I don't remember what my initial thought was because this is this is not the first time either of us have read this book. No, I've read this book. Yeah, um, uh, but I knew you know once once we talked about horror store and um, <sighs> that ridiculous story we read last Christmas. Oh my god! <laughs> I still think about that. You know, every time I think about the Krampus as well. 
because you know I love a bit of Krampus action. Yeah, of course. Of course. Honestly. Yeah. If you haven't listened to that Christmas episode, now's the time to start feeling festive. Yeah. and (laughs) Go back and listen to that. Oh, and just the the audio that we found of it, too, that, like, someone just read out on a podcast was hilarious. Oh, my God. How many times have we listened to that? I don't know. Like, six or seven. I swear. We just kept listening. I'm going to have to listen to it again. I know. It's going to become, like, our yearly thing. Yes. We'll have to have like a, a book club special. We will. Just we just sit around. Like we should put um, a fireplace image on our computer screens yes. and just l- sit around and listen to this story together as a group. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be like a horrifying place as well. Sure. It's like a burning skull in it or yeah, something. You can't course. just have a normal. No, one. no. And we all need to have like some hot chocolate. Definitely. There may or may not have poison in it. Or may or may not have gingerbread. You know, you don't, you don't know. <laughs> so anyway, after reading horror store and talking about that on the show and that ridiculous Christmas story, like I feel like you just can't go wrong with Grady Hendrix. Yes, he has. Yes, he has such a good way of doing quite slow burns. Yeah, and then boof. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I realized after the fact with yeah. this one. And I was like, oh, my God, how stupid am I? How stupid am I? Yeah. yeah. It's really vexing when that happens, I, Yeah, it? it is. One is... I think it should be kicking I know. One is something that happens very, like, right in the beginning, and I felt so stupid. And I've already read this once, and then I listened to it. Again, just a couple of weeks ago. And then I listened to it again three times, twice recently, <laughs> and I didn't catch it. Oh. I was like, come on, me. Duh. Anyway. Duh. Anyway, duh. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's like such a dumb. Gag me with a God. spoon. <sighs> we got to get into the 80s. 80s vibes. oh my god okay abby rivers read in the paper online that the exorcist died in a freak car accident highways are dieways after all seeing the exorcist makes abby recall april 1988 and how the world belonged to her and gretchen who were rising fast and high they were best friends, but then things came apart, and the exorcist saved her life. The memories, once blurry, all come flooding back, and she remembers in vivid detail the year her best friend was possessed by the devil. Don't we all? We all remember that time. Mine was 1995. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, in 1982, in the story, E.T. was released, and it quickly became Abby's favourite movie. It was also the year she turned 10 and had her birthday party at the Red Wing Rollaway. The whole class was invited, but only Gretchen Lang came because Margaret Middleton decided to have her horseback riding party the same day, and everyone went to that instead. The terrible icing on the terrible birthday cake was that Gretchen gave Abby a children's bible as her no. present. Oh, mm. 
Abby flees the party room and hides in the bathroom. Gretchen follows, wiggles under the cubicle door and explains to Abby she really wants to get Gretchen an E.T. toy and doesn't like horses, so didn't want to go to the sucky Margaret's plantation with the rest of the class. And Abby had asked her first. Eventually, the girls head onto the rink floor and as they escape, Abby feeling on top of the world singing, We got the beat! She slams into Tommy Cox and ends up in the ER with a busted mouth. Oh, dang. But it's Tommy Cox. It's Tommy Cox! What? Super hot senior! Oh my god, it's Tommy Cox. He's such a hottie. Oh my god. (laughs) At school on Monday, Margaret is giving Gretchen a hard time for missing her horse riding party, but Gretchen defends her choice of going to Abby's party instead. When Abby walks in, face bruised and stitched, Margaret calls Abby a liar and says that Tommy Cox didn't cause her busted face. But then, with glorious timing, Tommy Cox walks in, hands Abby an ice-cold Coca-Cola for her swollen face, gives her a high five, and a wink. Margaret Middleton stands her like an idiot, and Gretchen and Abby share a smile. Abby never opened the can of Coke. You gotta keep that. You gotta keep that safe. Yeah. Yeah. Go to shrine. Gretchen reveals to Abby that she hasn't, and get this, she hasn't seen E.T. Oh, no. But it's because her parents are in a witness protection program, and <laughs> it's just too dangerous for her to go. This is rectified the following weekend, and because of the Lang's weird rules, Gretchen sleeps over at Abby's. A few weeks into their friendship, Gretchen admits that her parents aren't in witness protection program. They're just really super-duper strict. Yeah. They're also very religious, just so you know. To reciprocate the secret, Abby shows Gretchen her dad's porn VHS. (laughs) (laughs) And she starts rubbing it all over. (laughs) Get it off now! You're gonna get AIDS! (laughs) Six years pass, and Abby and Gretchen's friendship gets stronger and stronger. During that time, Abby's family has to move to a rundown part of town, and so she starts sleeping over at Gretchen's house. Madonna's Like a Virgin becomes their soundtrack until Mrs. Lang comes home and catches them dressed up and beats the shit out of Gretchen. Abby goes to Jamaica with the Langs, and they get bad cornrows, and they have their first fight. There are slow dances with boys and kissing with tongues, and their little group of two grows to four. As Margaret Middleton and Glee Wanamaker, a girl they helped find her retainer in the school cafeteria's garbage, join their group. I need you to just say it right now. I didn't realize that it was the same Margaret. Did you not? I didn't. I didn't until after the third time I just read it and I went, wait a minute. Margaret? That's the Margaret? It was Margaret's horse party and Margaret's their best friend now? It's em- okay, it's, em- is- it's embarrassing. That is shameful. Shameful revelations. <laughs> it's embarrassing. That is. I'm sorry. Is. And you know, you just, everyone has to know how much I love you all because I revealed that embarrassing secret. That is that is thank you for for 
feeling safe with us. Yeah. We're judging. Just I so know. You know. But thank you. I know you're this. judging. I deserve We're it. Judging and we are not taking <laughs> any bias. <laughs> I deserve it. Discoveries. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> One night, the four best friends, which includes a former enemy, are drifting <laughs> on the creek, drinking beer, smoking, and relaxing to Bob Marley. Margaret asks if they want to freak the fuck out and pulls out a Fulham canister with acid inside. And bored, they agree and head back to the shore. Does Does everybody remember what a Fulham canister is? <laughs> yeah, if not, Google. Google. Google film canister. It's very <laughs> tiny. You can put secret things in there. Like your drugs. <laughs> I'm sure I've still got some lying around. Oh, I'm sure. On the porch, they each take one of the little pieces of paper with the head of a blue unicorn printed on and pop it on their tongues. They wait hours for the trip to start. The chilling and talking on the porch, but nothing happens. Four hours later, at nearly midnight, still nothing has happened, so Glee starts doing homework. <laughs> That's <laughs> Lame. bad. <laughs> oh my god she's such a dork Margaret says she has a Ouija board and suggests they talk to Satan but rejecting it as a silly game they decide to go swimming instead Gretchen strips down to nothing and dives in staying under for so long that the others start to worry Abby, Margaret and Glee go searching for Gretchen but they can't find her Abby does spot a small, rundown building and a shadow inside, but dismisses it, thinking that the acid must be finally kicking in. And then she hears a man calling her name. Noping out of there, Abby runs back to Margaret and Glee. Eventually, they go searching again, but they don't find any sign of Gretchen. By dawn, they decide they need to call the police. Before they do, though... They find a naked and shivering Gretchen in the small building. Gretchen curses. She never curses. And she's crying. She wants to go home. Abby drives Gretchen home before heading to her own to get ready for work at TCBY, which involves a full face of makeup to hide the stupid zits that caused scars. Near the end of her shift, Abby gets a panicked call from Gretchen, saying she's in the bath, shaving her legs, and now everything is covered in blood. Abby talks Gretchen down, and they promise to talk later that night, but they don't. The next morning, Abby goes to pick Gretchen up, but Mrs Lang says she won't be going to school, but then Gretchen comes stomping out. Gretchen didn't call Abby because she called her summer camp sweetheart, Andy, instead. He's done acid before, and she wanted his advice about flashbacks. She keeps feeling someone touching the back of her neck, and can't sleep because of it. Ew. Ew. That's a bad acid trip. Mm Mm-hmm. A few days later, Gretchen is still bleary-eyed and snappish. She's still not sleeping and experiencing flashbacks. In un-Gretchen-like behavior during the latest for-your-safety school lecture, Gretchen talks back to the teacher and is sent to the school office, so Abby, Margaret, and Glee wait for her. Later, she tells them Major, the school principal, ranted about faith and honor and wanted to know if Gretchen was on drugs. Margaret's senior boyfriend, Wallace, a total asshole, comes up to them, and Gretchen starts arguing with him as he's trying to be a tough guy poser. Suddenly... Gretchen 
throws up all over him, all over the place, <laughs> vomits thick white fluid with little black feathers in it, and Abby mm. can swear she saw the feathers squirming in the vomit. Gretchen misses school for the rest of the week and Abby can't reach her and Margaret and Glee are no help. Gretchen finally arrives the following Monday during fifth period but she doesn't sit next to Abby and doesn't want to talk to her either. Mrs Lang took her to a doctor to make sure she was still a virgin because her parents say they can hear sex noises coming from her room during the night but she's sleeping. Mm. Gretchen begged her parents for help and instead they subjected her to that violation. Margaret is still pissed with Gretchen for embarrassing her in front of Wallace and kind-hearted Glee tries to encourage them to sit together. Gretchen mutters that she wishes Margaret was dead before turning to Abby and asking her to get her a phone before promising she'll never hurt her. That's not creepy and, om- and uh, ominous. No. No. No, perfectly normal it's fine. Normal. All good. At Gretchen's later, Mr. Lang is dealing with a dead cat on the lawn and tries to get Abby to tell him what's going on with Gretchen, but Abby defends her friend, saying nothing is going on. Gretchen stomps downstairs and pulls Abby into her room. Gretchen's behavior and conversation is really odd, and she starts crimping her hair, and it looks awful. She's sick of her parents, she's sick of her hair, she's sick of her friends. (gasps) Meanwhile... Abby can smell a foul, sour odor. Is that Gretchen's dog Max's fart or something else? When Abby leaves at the same time as Mrs. Lang's book group breaks up, Gretchen's behavior gets worse. She starts singing loudly at the top of the stairs. Mrs. Lang screeches that Gretchen has ruined her hair, and Mr. Lang slaps his daughter to make her stop singing before falling down the stairs. But Abby is sure she saw Gretchen push him. Suddenly, dozens of different types of birds start flying into the windows, their dead bodies scattering all over the lawn and the noise echoing around the house. Normal, fine and normal and not at all ominous. The next day, next day, moving on from that travesty of a night, Abby heads back over to Gretchen's and she admits she's been hearing noises that tell her things about people. At lunch, Margaret and Glee refuse to sit with Gretchen. Abby notices Gretchen has started to stink and isn't looking after herself. The smell is sour and horrible. Her clothes are the same she's been wearing for days. She stopped wearing makeup. Her lips are chapped. Her breath smells and her tongue is covered in a white film. The next day, Abby realises Gretchen is drenching herself in perfume, trying to mask her odour, but it actually makes the smell worse. Biting the bullet, Abby asks her mom, who is a care worker, how she can help Abby, but her concerns are dismissed. She says Gretchen's parents should be the ones dealing with it, not Abby. Ugh! Terrible, 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 I hate it. terrible. 
On Monday morning, there are torn garbage bags with used maxi pads all over the Lang's lawn, and Max, the family dog, is snuffling through them. Gretchen is fighting with her dad, and it looks bad, and Gretchen looks terrible. On the drive to school, Abby confronts Gretchen, who grabs the wheel of Abby's car, sending it careening across the lanes of traffic, and then Abby thinks they're going to go over the bridge, but luckily that last part doesn't happen. Gretchen begs Abby not to be left alone and says that she desperately wants to sleep. Then she says she will tell Abby the truth. Mmm. Oh. Gretchen has been having her period for two weeks. She thinks she's dying, but her mom doesn't believe her. Is it a disease? Gretchen says she caught it the night at Margaret's and that she's not a virgin anymore. Gretchen can't tell Abby who it was that hurt her, but says they watch her and hurt her every night and tear at her skin. Abby wants to call the police, but Gretchen says that they can't, but she knows how to make it stop. Abby takes Gretchen back home and tucks her into bed. Inside the Lang's house, she spots countless numbers of air fresheners that don't mask the sour smell, but Gretchen's room is the worst, and it is a mess. Abby decides she needs to call Gretchen's parents and tell them everything. A couple of hours later, they come home and insist they are getting Gretchen the help she needs. Abby tries to tell them Gretchen was raped, but they dismiss her, getting hung up on the fact that they did LSD and blame Abby for being a bad influence. Abby swears she will save Gretchen. I hate this scene. I so much rage happens in this book. <sighs> yeah. At school the following day, Abby goes to Major, but instead of helping, he makes some veiled comments about Abby being a scholarship student and about the responsibility that brings. He tells Abby that Gretchen's parents are dealing with her situation and that he's already spoken to Mrs. Lang. Before throwing her out of the office, Major tells Abby he's watching her. Later, investigating the bunkhouse where they found Gretchen for clues, Abby starts to think that Wallace was the rapist. But then she's interrupted by Riley Middleton, Margaret's older brother, who's a drug-dealing scumbag, who tries to freak her out. Rushing home, Abby calls Glee and tells her everything. Abby doesn't realize that Glee has put her on three-way calling and that Margaret has heard everything. Shit. Ooh. Mm. Not cool, Glee. Not cool. Three-way calling attack. It's bad. Gretchen isn't attending school. Margaret and Glee are no longer speaking to Abby, and Wallace is pissed and attacks Abby at school. A few days pass, and during Spirit Week, at a highly inappropriate what-the-fuck slave market... Yeah. What? Yeah, we can, this, we can talk about that. This bit blew that. my mind, and I freaking hated yeah, it. Yeah, we can talk about that. Abby notices on the teacher's clipboard that she is owned by Gretchen Lang. Gretchen is in school. Turning around, Abby runs into Gretchen, who still looks and smells terrible. Gretchen takes Abby to the restrooms and orders Abby to take off her makeup and forces cold cream on her face before she can run off. 
After school, Abby confronts Gretchen and ends their friendship. Gretchen calls Abby that night and begs Abby to still be her friend, saying she doesn't know what she's done. Abby spends Friday night alone in her room watching trash TV and looking at the pictures of their friendship. By Monday morning, Abby is determined to get her friend back, but when she spots Gretchen, she notices the old, beautiful, perfectly coiffed Gretchen is back with a new haircut, and she's with Margaret and Glee, but Abby is not invited to be a part of the group. For nearly a month, Gretchen was ignored for her behavior, and now she's the queen bee? Like, what's going on? One lunch, Gretchen is drinking a thick white milkshake, a diet supplement that Margaret is desperate to have, and Gretchen is happy to share. It takes a few days before Abby can speak to Gretchen, and Gretchen is pissed at Abby for leaving her. Abby tries to talk to Father Morgan, who sees nothing wrong with Gretchen. With his help and her parents' support, Gretchen has healed. However, using a bad analogy, he plants the seed in Abby's mind that Gretchen is possessed. Later, at a school assembly, a power team called the Lemon Brothers make a huge dramatic faith and fitness production. During the show, one of the brothers, Christian, points at Gretchen and claims he sees a demon in her. After the assembly is over, Abby seeks out Christian, and he claims that he has the power of discernment and that he saw a great owl obscuring her friend's face. No! Ah, there's a great owl obscuring your face! No! Demon! Let's summon demons. <laughs> Margaret has lost a lot of weight and it's relishing it. The shakes are working great. Fantastic. This is something that she's always been trying to do. During lunch breaks, Gretchen keeps handing Glee notes from Father Morgan, supposedly about vestry. Later, during a particularly gruesome dissection class, Abby asks to use the bathroom, but what she actually does is steal Gretchen's dear book from her locker and hide it in her car. That night, Abby reads the dear book, which starts quite normally, then descends into the type of scribbles a serial killer would be proud of. Dum, dum, dum. Meanwhile, Abby has started to develop red patches on her face and neck that start to become infected. The next day, Abby confronts Gretchen because they're still friends and she wants to help. Gretchen is all sweetness and light and she's so concerned about Abby's skin. But Abby doesn't feel like she's being sincere because she's not. In desperation to figure out what's wrong with her friend, Abby finds Andy's number in Gretchen's daybook. Maybe he can help, but when she calls the number, she hears Gretchen's weak voice drifting in and out and begging for help, telling Abby that she's been replaced and that she wants to hurt Abby most of all. What? That's not right. At the school blood drive on Monday... Margaret passes out, and the Red Cross nurse says she's too thin. Glee wasn't with Margaret, as she usually is, because now she's spending all her time in the vestry with Father Morgan. Hmm. There is a field trip planned to go see the Gross Anatomy Lab at the local university. The students pile into the school bus and school van. 
Abby travelling separately from Gretchen, Margaret and Glee. All that anyone can talk about on the bus is Satanism, thanks to Geraldo's TV special. In the lab, there are rows of tables with cadavers and body parts and a cabinet where jars are filled with organs and fetuses. Later, it's reported one of the fetuses was stolen. Great! That's That's great. You don't exit through the gift shop on this type of trip. No, no, you don't, no. No, you're you're not supposed to take a fetus. It's not okay. On Friday, Abby finally gets in touch with Andy by looking up his actual phone number in a phone book, which is really fun. And the number was wrong. And that just makes my brain hurt later for other reasons. Again, secret embarrassing reasons, but we're going to talk about that later. Anyway, um, Andy says he hasn't spoken to Gretchen since summer camp. On Tuesday, Major calls Abby's parents for a conference because he doesn't think Abby has a future at the school. She's being implicated in several incidents, including theft and the selling and distribution of drugs and alcohol. Abby's mother stands up for Abby and puts Major in his place, though she's not at all pleased with Abby whether she did what she was accused of or not. Outside, as Abby watches her parents drive away, sheets of white paper blizzard over the lawn and a half-naked girl stands on the roof throwing them out. It's glee. The papers are love letters signed Bruce. Mm-hmm. And there's only one Bruce on campus. Father Bruce Morgan. <gasps> As Glee is about to step over the ledge, she's pulled back, shrieking that she wants to die because she loves him. Father Morgan watches on. Finally, Abby has to do something. She calls up and meets the exorcist at the mall food court. Brother Lemon talks openly and very frankly about demons, telling Abby there is no shame in asking for help. So Abby answers all his questions about Gretchen despite the guilt she feels. Brother Lemon hasn't performed an exorcism himself, but he's seen a few puke and rebukes. (laughs) Plus, he's young and strong and willing to help. They just need to find somewhere quiet to perform it. Brother Lemon suggests they drug Gretchen to get her to the place Abby knows, which would provide the solitude they need. Brother Lemon is really excited about this. Like, he's already got a van full of equipment. <laughs> like, let's go! Yeah, I'm totally stoked. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. I'm pumped! I'm pumped! I'm pumped! Yeah, yeah, let's go! Yeah, wow! Glee confesses to Abby that Father Morgan sent all those letters to her declaring his love, but now he's denying it. Glee also said she told her to talk to him, that she drugged her and she woke up at school. Gretchen. It was Gretchen. Gretchen is doing all of this. The following day, Glee and her family leave town. The only person Abby can think of who might help her now is Margaret, who's been out of school for weeks, so she goes to her house with ice cream to lift her spirits. Margaret looks withered, like a yellow bone buried in her sheets, and her stomach is distended and hard. She says that someone poisoned her. At the smell of the ice cream Abby brought, Margaret starts to dry heave, and inside her throat, Abby can see something sticky, gelatinous, and alive, hauling itself out of her stomach 
toward the ice cream. Margaret's dog attacks and yanks what turns out to be a tapeworm from her throat. Twenty-three pounds of tapeworms were found in her guts. The doctors never even bothered to look for them. Oh. Yeah. That will put you off spaghetti for life. Ew. Ew. Looking through Gretchen's dear book, Abby finds all the evidence of Father Morgan's signature being practised. The verses given to Glee, pictures of tapeworms, and notes about getting Wallace drunk. She calls Father Morgan, trying to get him to help, but then she hears Gretchen's quiet voice calling out to her, and suddenly... Her bedroom door opens and Gretchen is standing in front of her with a paper bag. Gretchen takes the phone and hangs it up and tells Abby to stop listening to that little ghost. Strange. Gretchen punches and kicks Abby to the floor before taking her dear book and leaving. In a rage, Abby tears her bedroom to pieces. In the morning, Abby is woken by her mother's screams. There are police in her living room with the brown bag Gretchen had the day before. Inside is the missing fetus. Abby is arrested but released to her parents' custody. Oh. Ah, yikes. Packing some essentials, Abby sneaks out and calls Brother Lemon. Together they drive to Gretchen's house and Abby slips in quietly and drugs Gretchen's Diet Coke. Unfortunately, Gretchen knows Abby's in the house and catches her before she can escape, taking her upstairs to show her something. Gretchen has her dog Max tied up in her bathtub and is holding her father's gun. Abby protests and Gretchen backhands her into the bedroom, so thankfully she doesn't see Gretchen shoot Max. When Gretchen comes out of the bathroom, she declares that was thirsty work and she drinks the full glass of drugged Diet Coke. It only takes a few moments for her to pass out. Brother Lemon drives Abby and the drugged Gretchen to the Langs Beach house. They put Gretchen in the guest bedroom and make preparations to defeat the demon, who they learn is called Andras. When Gretchen wakes up and Brother Lemon starts the exorcism, Gretchen tries to talk to Abby, but then she starts mocking Brother Lemon, throwing him off his game. When the exorcism doesn't seem to be working, Brother Lemon declares it's time for DEFCON 3. Gets out the big guns, salt, which he blasts and smashes into Gretchen's face. Eventually, a demonic voice speaks through Gretchen. Hot damn! We got ourselves a demon! We got a demon! <laughs> we got a demon! Brother Lemon protein loads and gives Abby a pep talk before they start the next stage holy water, and vinegar. For hours, Gretchen vomits, weeps, and begs to get the demon out, Andras mocking them throughout. Brother Lemon wants to do a full-body baptism in the bath, but Abby thinks it's too much, while Gretchen wants them to burn or cut the demon out of her. Brother Lemon is ready to pour boiling water on her, and Abby tries to stop him, burning herself as she knocks the kettle out of his hands. Suddenly, Brother Lemon stops because he can't see Andras anymore. After praying, he declares he needs to speak to his father and leaves, though Gretchen is still begging for it to stop in the background. 
When he's gone, Andros, as Gretchen, tells Abby it was so easy to get rid of him and starts to sing, I think we're alone now. Abby Rivers will go down in history as the crazy pizza-faced girl who stole dead babies for sex orgies, dealt drugs, killed beloved family pets and abducted the beautiful and upstanding Gretchen Lang. At least that's what Andras says and it's only just gotten started. Abby picks up Brother Lem's notes and begins the exorcism herself until she's exhausted. Andras causes Abby's water to turn to urine, bugs to fly from Gretchen's throat and worms to ooze from her eyes. But they're only illusions. Abby continues through Andras' talking in tongues, elongating Gretchen's body and begging in Gretchen's voice through a tornado-like wind blasting the room and the demon crawling out of Gretchen's mouth. Finally, Abby quits, defeated, and everything stops, except Andras picking the scabs in her face and inappropriately pawing at both Gretchen and Abby. But then the drum beats start. We got the beat rings through her head, renewing her. Abby calls on Tommy Cox and his holy Coca-Cola, Phil Collins and Madonna, E.T. the extra terrible, Glee and Margaret she calls on the things that made them the best friends to rebuke and expel Andras. After a cacophony of activity, everything settles down and Andras is gone. Unfortunately, the Langs and the police are outside the beach house and Abby is hauled out and thrown into a police car, but then Gretchen chases after her. While Abby is sitting in court listening to the judge declare her parents unfit and that her future is ruined, Brother Lemon comes in as a surprise witness and confesses to everything, saying that he coerced Abby into the whole thing, but she was trying to stop him, an acolyte of Satan at the beach house. Abby is freed and the Rivers move to New Jersey. The case eventually falls apart because Glee's family can't be located and the Langs just want to move on. After a few months of never leaving the house, Abby hears a car horn blaring outside. Pulling herself from bed, she sees Gretchen in her mom's car. Gretchen tried to contact her, but their parents have kept them apart, and she got impatient, so she stole her mom's car and came to find Abby. Sitting together in a blockbuster car parking lot, Gretchen confesses that she watched her life happening in snatches and had no control. After Abby rescued her, she turned suicidal, but instead of pulling the trigger with her dad's gun, she wrote Abby a letter and something inside her changed. Abby keeps rescuing her and she realises she must be worth being rescued, but she needs to know what happened at the beach house. Abby tells her everything, even as the police come and take them to the station. The Langs and the Rivers agree that they can't keep Abby and Gretchen apart and allow them to write and call each other. The exorcist spent eight months in jail with only minor charges sticking. After ten years, Abby gets the chance to say thank you to Brother Lemon, and he apologizes for how he acted at the exorcism. As the years pass and life happens, Abby and Gretchen's letters and phone calls come less often. They turn into emails and Facebook likes. They still share big moments and messy moments. They're there for each other when it matters the most. One night, after Gretchen moves in with Abby for a little while, they share Tommy Cox's Holy Coca-Cola and toast to 1982. 
They remained best friends all the way down the line until they were finally parted by death in their 80s. Do you want to go talk to Satan? Yeah, let's go! These days, more authors are including mental health content in their books. But do you ever wonder how accurate some of this stuff is? Or do you ever read something where you know the author just gets it? I'm Elise. And I'm Priscilla. And we are Novel Feelings, a podcast where we discuss mental health issues in fiction novels. We are psychologists and book lovers, and we have a lot of opinions. So look for Novel Feelings wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your show. I think we got a wrong number. I think so. You know, I think we did. It just kept going beep, 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 beep. <sighs> Substandard Ouija board man. Mattel. What are you going to do? <laughs> so, let me crack open my Diet Coke here. Ooh, that was some ASMR. Oh, I should, should do that. It doesn't have that much fizz, though, because I've already opened it once. Oh, man, Claire, did you drug this? Sorry. Have a nice sleep. <laughs> uh, the show is my hour. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I came back, everyone. Oh, thank God, I don't need to edit it. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be hilarious. That, that would be hilarious. <laughs> So, standout moments. Standout moments. All the disgusting stuff. Oh, the tapeworm was probably my favourite out of all the disgusting stuff. Yes, the tapeworm was really good. And that part was done really well in the movie, too. It was. I was hoping the dog would come in and grab it, and it did. And it did, did, and it was awful. Ugh. Yuck. Yuck. Oh, it was gross and so, so good. Yes. Yes. Um my other favorite part, which I don't know if you've ever experienced these, but the power team demonstration at the school was exactly like I remember from when I was Seriously? in school. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, they're not allowed. This is a Christian school that they go to, obviously. Um but mm. The the power teams are real, and they would come to your school and talk about like how you know don't do drugs and you be abstinent and all this stuff. But like they would rip phone books in half on stage and like blow. I remember one guy um, blew up a hot water bottle like with his mouth, blew it up until it exploded. And, like, they would just put on these huge, like, massive steroid-looking guys. And they were just like, oh, yeah, you got to be powerful. Oh, yeah, don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. And then they would rip a phone book in half or chop up cinder blocks with their, you know, just doing a chop. Or it it was insane. That's messed up. It was up. insane. And they still exist, like, apparently. Oh my god, that this is this is a YouTube haul. I think. You're gonna need to look up Power Team. Like the, literally the only we we had assemblies at school, but 
I barely remember any of them in secondary school. They cancelled them more than often than not. We did always, every year, the Gideon Bible people came in at the beginning in the September and would give you the little Gideon Bible. And you're like, oh, gee, thanks. And then most of them just got left on the seats or, yeah. you know, thrown away or... Sorry if this is disrespectful for anybody, but I'm 11 I, I, and I'm not religious. I don't care. Yeah. Now, um, see, when the power teams came, like, they're, it, they're, they were these, like, super macho religious guys. But you can't do that. You can't do that in a public school in the United States. So they just went super heavy on not doing drugs and being abstinent and, like, don't drink alcohol and all of this stuff. Uh, so we didn't ever get Bibles, but it's they are they're super like uber religious dude bros. I'm repulsed but intrigued at the same. You're thing. gonna have to watch on YouTube because it's real. It's real. They came to my school. It was real. I watched it. Jesus, Jesus. I mean, I didn't even go to a religious school. It's just. Every you, it's classed as a Church of England by default. Yeah. But actually, we had a very heavy percentage of uh, Muslim attendees because there's two mosques nearby. Um, so they got excused from obviously those yeah. those assemblies. Lucky thing. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> but we did. We had like the Catholics girls school, the Catholics boys school just down the road. So that's where they, all the like the the big religious teaching was yeah. was done. But literally it was a nerdy guy who looked like something from book of mormon and he was ginger i remember he's ginger why do i remember all these years later the guy was a tall weedy mormon looking guy who was ginger and they gave out these red gideon bibles and i was like yeah thanks no thanks yeah no now see you need to travel back in time i i need to go back to the 80s or 90s and experience these macho You, you do you do. Jeepers. You need to watch Power Team. I'm, you have to. I am, like I say, intrigued and repulsed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so something else that you mentioned, and in the summary you said, like, it's disgusting and you hate it that it exists. Spirit Week. The Spirit Week. Yes, yeah. the Spirit Week, which, I mean, we did Spirit Weeks forever, um, but the slave auction was a thing. And you could buy your friend for the day or whatever. And the money would go, you know, to whatever fundraiser they were doing at the school. But that's literally what it was called, a slave auction. And that's That's fucking awful. It's just abhorrent. It is. Yeah. It doesn't teach anything. It It doesn't do anything apart from highlight a grotesque aspect of history. Yeah, it's terrible. And... There, there was one at my college. Still no. called the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we had and not, that... not at school, but at university every week. The first week of university is called Freshers' Week, because obviously you're a freshman or you're, yeah. you're coming in fresh. Yeah. Um, but it's all social activities. It's none of that. It's all like. Come join our club. Come do this. Come, you know, co- do a beer cr- like a, a bar crawl. You know, it's just fun activities. There is some charity engagement in them as well. Like my first Freshers Week was weird. There was. Did you ever see the pop band Bewitched, the Irish pop band, four girls? 
yeah, it's a nineties thing, I think. Check those girls out on YouTube because you'll look at them and go, Oh, damn. That's a stereotype, but apparently making a comeback. They came to our student union uh, club and were never seen again until very recently. <laughs> and also Orville the Duck, which is a excessively British kids thing, a puppet, but it's a, a, an intrinsic part of my childhood. They came and performed on our Freshest Week. So it's kind of like pop bands and stuff will, and fam- semi-famous people as well, will come and play gigs and do you know just to engage that first week of university before you get down to the hard graft and studying but none of this kind of like auction activity nothing political but you did get bibles so that's something yeah but it was a school thing where you're supposed to say the lord's prayer every freaking day as well which you just you don't you go and sing freaking hymns which fun fact i fell asleep to in front of the whole school on multiple occasions because i was the projector girl i got to put be the person who sat at the front behind the headmaster and put the hymns on the overhead projector for everybody to read and the amount of times i would sit and just gently nod off during the song. Oh, that's great. I can't believe you had to sing hymns at school. Ugh. Not a thing. I, Not I say, allowed. I say sing hymns, sing hymns. Well, yeah. However, I did go to one of my son's assemblies, and it's not hymns. They put, like, um, take that on and pop music. and I think I had Taylor Swift, and it's just uplifting music for them to come and sing and dance to as they come in just as they come to line up to sit down and then as they leave just something they can have a little bop to which was very pleasant that's adorable i'm glad nothing i'm glad that our discussion has just become us talking about weird shit that happens at school when we were kids well to be fair this is it's very relevant to this because weird shit that happens i don't know that anybody had an exorcism to my knowledge I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there was demonic possession. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Um, yeah. So what What did you like? I love the power team. What did you love? I adored Abby's kind of, I, I want to say scripture, but her exorcism, right? Oh, yeah. And I actually pulled the full thing out, like, and put it like I've put it on our notes, yeah, because I freaking loved it. And I don't know if you want to read it out the full thing in some kind of dramatic, <laughs> professional narrator style, but it is there. I I loved it. I loved every aspect of it because I thought, yes, this is what two friends do. They build this kind of life. They have this kind of exorcism. Like a religious exorcism would not work on me. Mm-mm, me neither. It would. Exactly, it would be invoking Tommy Cox and the Holy Coca Cola and Madonna. I mean, not necessarily Madonna with me, but you get yeah, the drift. I just, yeah. I absolutely loved it. So I pulled the full thing because I thought we need to. If we don't see it, we'll probably post it for people yeah. to to see on the Patreon group. Um, You've got to be on the Patreon bonus group to see it, though. Yes, for now. For now. I, I want to. I'm curious what um, our listeners and our super fans would put into our yes. exorcism ritual. Like, 
all vampires all the time. Yes. <laughs> Lovable assholes. <laughs> yes, excessively British and cups of tea. Yes. So what else? What what would be our speech? Listeners, tell us. <laughs> There's stuff that I'm thinking of, but it's not for recording. <laughs> Because it, it's from our personal threads. Yeah. So it stays on our personal <laughs> Rage. 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 <laughs> Cosplay. Were you thinking about a testicle in an ugly hat? I always think about a testicle in an ugly hat. <laughs> but that that's common knowledge. Hmm. <laughs> Now, like, I just want to scroll down and read it from our from our notes, so we can like replace it with our own, <laughs> with our own names. Tommy Cox, defend me in battle. Be my protection against the wickedness and snares of this world. May Tommy Cox and his holy can of Coca Cola rebuke you, Satan, and all your works. I pray in his name. By the power of Phil Collins, I rebuke you. By the power of Phil Collins, who knows that your coming back to me is against all odds. In his name, I command you to leave this servant of Genesis alone. By the power of the Thornbirds, by the sacred strength of my sweet Audrina and forever. I deny and rebuke you, Andros. By the power of lost retainers and Jamaica and bad cornrows and fireflies and Madonna, by all these things I rebuke you. By the mysteries and the power of good dog Max and E.T. the extra terrible and Geraldine Ferraro, the first lady vice president ever. By the eye of the tiger and the love cry of the koala bear. By the passion and redemption of bad Mama Gemma who will always have supper in the oven. By the name of Glee and Margaret and Laney Ott, I command you to depart. By the power of the dust bunny and in the name of the Go-Go's, I compel you. Be gone. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I adore it. It's just... Yeah. There's so much that hasn't been put into the summary because there's details of the friendship. Yeah. And it's just you kinda have to read the book to get it all. Yeah. Um and I'm gonna link this into our movie talk, which we'll probably do in a minute. Yes, yeah, we need to. But yeah, that, that's kind of like there's something about the movie. there's pros and cons I've got about the movie. Sure. But yeah, there's just so many bits that we haven't been able to cover. But we I was trying to get some of it into the, the summary because it's just so freaking important. Yeah. That it's all those little things. You know, Tommy Cox is not mentioned again from the beginning, from the from the intro. Yeah. Until the invocation. Yeah. But I mean, just can you imagine all of these things that are so, so important to their friendship that literally mean nothing? They don't mean anything to anyone else, but it's it's powerful. It's it's the power of friendship. <laughs> Half an emotion came through. Half an emotion. Which is what I love about this book. There's no freaking romance to it. It's empower girl, somebody having to empower herself to help save her friend 
ensure her friend that she is worth saving in the end, even after the exorcism takes place. Mm-hmm. She's still there and talks her off the edge. And, you know, that that the final paragraph when we talk about how, you know, as a grown up as adults, it's so relatable. Like, I don't talk to, I do not talk to anybody I went to um, primary school with or infant school. Um, but there are people from college mm-hmm. and there are people from university. And those are the friends, like, that. They're, they've been my forever friends. Yeah. And it is the case, and COVID aside, which has caused a lot of restrictions, but it is the case of, you know, it, you talk every day, you're on the phone every day, and it's gone down to the, like... You, you just make sure that you you engage with them on Facebook or, you know, whichever social media you, you use mm-hmm. um, to make sure that you're still kind of a part of the life or you, you, you have a group thread or private, you know, text conversation with them. But if there's a big moment, you make sure you're there to celebrate yep. it. If there's a crappy moment, you're there to hold the hands and give them a hug. And even, like, long distance, like the two of us, you know, we've only been friends, what, three years now? Yeah. Four years? Yeah. It's there. You know, I might not be able to physically come and hug you. You have to have my surrogate. But I'm there. Right. Yeah. And we've built our own little exorcism right yeah. through our friendship. And I I love that. Me too. So, you know, I know if I was possessed by a demon, you could come and perform my exorcism. And I would. Thank you. That would be the first time we would ever meet in real life is when we come into each other's exorcism. Oh, that's sweet. That's that's a good twist to the story. Yeah. <laughs> um. So what else? What else from the book? Did you? Oh, can I point out how all of the adults, every last single freaking adult, is an asshole? Yeah. Father. <laughs> like the Langs. Father Morgan. Might not be super terrible because after all of this stuff happened with Glee and like he was down there watching it all unfold, but Abby did call him on the phone and be like, Hey, I need your help. I saw in like, I know you don't work at the school anymore because yikes, but like I found in this day book, she was practicing your signature. This is. I have proof right here. And then, you know, it, it was stolen and replaced with a fetus. But he was like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna come to your house first thing in the morning. And instead it was the police who showed up. But still, he, yeah. I think if, if we can count on any adult, we can count on Father Morgan and Christian Lemon. But only Christian Lemon to a degree. Right. Because he did take the exorcism too far he admits he was going too far he was too enthusiastic yeah um but and he, i think if he just but, dialed it back a little yeah, bit yeah but he came back in the end and like went to prison yeah so yeah, that's that was that, that that's yeah. fair i'll give him credit there um but it really pissed me off when abby is trying to talk to the langs about gretchen and they just get hung up on the fact that they've done LSD once. Yeah. And instantly Abby is the drug dealer and the bad 
Yeah. And she's like, See, I'm trying to tell you that something bad happened to your daughter. And yeah, this other stuff was happening at the same time, but I mean, you don't use you don't use rape lightly. No, that is big. Not at all. And, and they didn't care? They didn't care. They didn't care. The the fact that their daughter has degenerated so badly in front of their eyes and they're responding to that because they're putting air fresheners out yeah. and they can see their daughter's not being herself. They've had her to a doctor. A doctor. Um, and they don't care. No. And Abby's mum... Abby's dad's just there, but he's just like not there. He's just a he's just sitting on the sofa, not yeah. fixing the lawnmower. I, I think he's definitely suffering from depression. Oh, completely, one hundred percent. And Abby's mum's not present. No, because she's always working in Abby's life. She's there, but she doesn't. She's so tired and so caught up with working so much that she doesn't have time for her daughter. Yeah. And it's it's gutting. And then freaking major. Oh uh, my god, yeah. what an asshole. And you're the other teachers that she tries to talk to, they're all all horrible people. Yeah. And no wonder she has to turn to Brother Lemon. Yep. And Wallace. Oh my god, I hate Wallace. So oh I know, much. he was terrible. I'm glad <sighs> I'm glad that Gretchen vomited on him. Oh god, yeah. And that was you know, that know. was another good scene in the movie. And she vomited on him. That was great. Yeah. I honestly thought, and I'm going to link to the movie a little bit here. Wallace is such an asshat. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a Republican senator <laughs> right now. I know, yeah, because this like private school that they're going to, you know, he's got money. He's yeah, yeah he's going to be a Republican Country senator. Clubs involved. Yeah, 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 he's a Republican senator. Yeah, he is. However, in the movie, which was quite fun, at the end, they did slides and showing where people are and what they're doing now. And wasn't Wallace like... I can't remember what Wallace was. I can't remember either. It was some kind of meteor... No, he's... Yes! He went, but he flunked out of everything and he's the, the groundskeeper at the school. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I was like, no! Oh. He would be a Republican senator. Yeah. He'd be an absolute dick. But yes. Yeah. It was it was a fun book. It's I don't know how much I enjoyed it the second time round as I did the first time round, if I'm perfectly honest. Sure. I think it's because the surprises were taken out. Yeah. And that's a real um draw with Grady Hendrix's books that you don't know what you're gonna read next and he yeah. can literally go in any direction. Yeah. Um I think Horror Story probably does a better job at that than what My Best Friend's Exorcism is. But what My Best Friend's Exorcism does a fantastic job is build a friendship. Yeah, it's, I mean, this one, it's, there is gross and terrible, gruesome stuff that happens, but it is really about the friendship. It's, it's a story of friendship. It's not, it's not a story of exorcism. No, it just so happens to have horror just, elements Yeah, in it, it just so happens to have a demon in it. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about the movie a little bit? Or is there anything about the book you want to highlight? Well, I just want to say... I know I already <laughs> embarrassed myself with Margaret. Uh-huh. Andy? Calling freaking Andy on the phone? And the demon's fucking name is Andros? 
I was like, what? Yeah, it's, Damn that it. That got me. That that got me. Yeah. That was until the second one. So don't be so embarrassed okay, about that good. one. Margaret, yes, feel the shame. But Andy Andras, yeah. it wasn't until my second reading that I picked up on that one. But like, it, I mean, it just makes perfect sense because when Abby calls, like she steals the day book and she finally calls the number that's scribbled in the day book and she's, it, it ends up being Gretchen that she's talking to and it's like tiny real, uh, real Gretchen like oh save me save me from what's happening right now Mm. you're like oh shit and then she ends up looking she goes to the library and uses their phone books that they have for you know the entire united states and she finds this guy's phone number in the phone book at the library and it's the wrong number like it's a different number than what is written down in the day book and you think oh my god she's been (laughs) talking to the demon damn dang yeah so that's that's probably my surprise and also i agree and also the embarrassing thing with margaret no, I completely agree. Like that Andy Andreas thing didn't get me the first. I did not pick up on that the first time. The second time I did, and I was like, "Oh no, oh, damn!" damn it. <laughs> oh. <sighs> okay, so movie stuff. Yes, I would say that I I enjoyed the movie. Um, there were a couple of differences that, that I didn't quite, like, I don't, I don't quite get why they made the changes that they made. Like, uh, like Glee in the movie, Glee doesn't have a thing for a teacher. She's in love with Margaret. Yes. And she also has a peanut allergy. Yes. (laughs) And so that's how, that's how Gretchen. That was one of the big differences. Yeah, that's how Gretchen gets her. She feeds her nuts and makes her sick, and then play like, a game. Calls for your EpiPen. Yeah, and then puts it into Margaret's head that Glee has a crush on her, and so then Margaret's like, "Ah, uh, not queer," you know, and that's embarrassing for her. But that's nothing to being in love with a teacher and naked on the roof of the school. Yeah, I wonder if the reason they did that was potentially an inclusive inclusivity aspect or they didn't want to make Father Morgan's character huge. Father Morgan's got a bigger part to play in the book than he does yeah. in the movie. He's just kind of like there in a couple of scenes. Yeah. So it was easier to make Abby infatuated with Father Morgan to have those embarrassing moments in the movie, whereas they would have had to give him a bigger part in the movie than they did. Yeah. And also, how do you address the fact that Glee was standing topless on top of the roof and was going to throw herself off after it? I think it was just a an easier way of just transfer the Father Morgan infatuation and then make Glee a little bit more of a point give her a bit more purpose actually yeah. I think Glee was a better character in the movie for being 
a lesbian by you know you know for for having genuine affectionate feelings for margaret than if it was the father morgan thing yeah and uh not that it didn't exist in the 80s because of course people have been gay forever but i guess it would have been more quote embarrassing to be thought of that way in 80s in high school there's also the legalities of it because I think like like um, age of consent as well is different was different yeah um and just laws yeah were a lot harder and also the AIDS issue in the eighties yeah. was massive yeah and it kind of probably would have had to bring in that entire storyline of you know oh don't touch me I'll get AIDS just because she's gay and yeah. it's like well that's not how it works. Yeah, that's not how that works. So it's probably for storytelling just easier not to yeah. well to do the to do it the way that they did. Yeah. I gotta say one hundred percent I'm really glad that good dog Max was not in the movie. Yeah, I missed the fact that good dog Max wasn't in the movie, but I'm glad good dog Max was not in the movie yeah. because that would have been devastating. Yeah. I freaking loved Brother Lemon. <laughs> See, I, I it made me sad because his brothers were big, huge beefcakes, and he was like the wiener of the family. But I've I got mean, the power of discernment, man. I may be the youngest of the brothers, but I've got the power. No. However, see, I, what I didn't like was his mother appearing to him, which chased him off from the exorcism. Yeah. No, he needed to be chickened out by it and go and see daddy's. Yeah. To see what's going on. Yeah, I I wish that he had been a a big power team beefcake though, instead of the weenery weak brother. I'm half upset that Hulk Hogan wasn't in their group or like on the side was the like, the brother Lemon's dad. That would have been hilarious. That would have been perfect for me. Oh. But you know that criticism to one side. <laughs> um. Oh. The the scene with the tapeworm in the movie was so good. brilliant. So good. Love that. Yes. Loved the vomiting on Wallace. Yes. Very good. Um my biggest issue was <laughs> which made me laugh so much. You get to meet Andras, Andras, the demon. And he just looked like a really cranky Dobby the Elf. He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the... No, no, honestly. So, in spoilers, at the end of the movie, <laughs> they actually end up at the haunted... The way that the demon is... Gretchen uh, gets the demon, we don't really know. We know that she's naked in the woods overnight. Yeah. And something happens. In the movie, they go to a haunted house, which which is a silly with a, a silly haunted reputation, and see some kind of weird gelatinous egg type thing, and then Abby runs off. Gretchen gets caught, possessed. Yeah, and they end up back at that haunted house, and they end up finishing the exorcism at the haunted house, and she ends up vomiting. Whereas in the book, it says its hairy arm comes out and then kind of goes all crazy. Yeah. And there's more vomit because they like the vomit they do, in the movie. They do. 
And then the vomit transforms into what I can only describe as a grumpy Dobby the house elf. Yep. That's a very was, good description. I was gone. I was laughing my head off. <laughs> this is the stupidest thing I've seen. It was ridiculous. I kind of hate it. I hate and love it at the same time. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was that was a questionable choice. It was weird looking. I didn't. I just don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm gone. She's broken, everyone. <laughs> broken in a bit <laughs> It's worth joining the Patreon just so you can see how broken she is right now. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, honestly, it's worth just watching the movie for, for the power team scenes and, and Grumpy Dobby the house. Oh, dear me. And the, like, boy George, which I know. I know. Like... I know. That was ridiculous. But they kissed his poster on the wall. And I was thinking, like, yeah. oh, girls. I mean, mm. I, I know people who, you know, were like, oh, I'm going to marry George Michael. No. <laughs> <Probably not. laughs> but, like, I would have liked him. They probably couldn't get a licensing. But I would have liked, like, references to like Phil Collins and Genesis and yeah. Madonna because they were in the books. Yeah. And Weird Al. You know Weird Al would Weird have been Al. all up on this. I don't know why they Oh my <laughs> god, yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The the um Abby's exorcism right was different in the movie and it was okay. Yeah. But it, that it, was a weird thing actually, the whole exorcism. Yeah. It didn't last long in the movie. Like in the book it lasts for hours. Yeah. In the movie, it lasts like twenty minutes. Yeah, it's, in total. it's barely any time. Mm-hmm. It it's it's very quick, and and not just like the fact that it's a movie, so it's sped up. Like literally, the start at two o'clock and finish at twenty past. Yeah, like it's it's the same night, and in the book, like it's the next day. It's yeah, yeah. it's it's. Uh, time has passed they come out and it's like the sun is shining and they're like oh wow we've been in we've been in there we've been at it for hours and hours and hours that's it and abby by herself is at it for hours she goes in yeah with the papers and a glass of water ready to just do it and it lasts for hours and you don't get that 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 time passage a passage of time yeah, yeah it did. and they use the ouija board in the book in the movie yeah and I'm, I find that problematic in the fact that I'm bored of the Ouija board being used as, like, the gateway into the de- demon. Yeah. Like, opening yourself up to the demon. I'm bored of that. Yeah. So it was a good movie. It was. It was a good, and it was a fun movie, and it was... Yeah, but... It... You can separate it nicely from the book. Yeah. The book definitely had some good key moments, and the movie had some good, good key stuff too. That 
and they were different and it was fine I would have liked to have seen them as kids that the roller skate yeah I would have liked to have seen that for sure yeah I would have liked to have seen that that scene with them with them roller skating because that's so 80s Mm -hmm. and that's one of my favorite things that was in the book was Abby's defeated she's on the floor she's about ready to give up you know she's crying she's just she's gone she's she's calling an end to it and then she hears the drums and then she hears the we got the beat and it's that that remembering that moment of when the her and Gretchen became friends yep and she knew it that they could conquer the world together it was so pivotal in the books and it was a shame that it was missed out on the movie. Yeah. I don't mind making the changes to the Father Morgan character, to mm. the Glee character, you know, the, the all of those bits and pieces, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But there's those little little teasing pivotal pieces that I do wish that were kept. Yeah. That 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 was key. That was like a key. That was how they became friends, and you can see the power of their friendship growing as they're roller skating around this rink. And like Gretchen's never skated before, so she's terrified. And Abby's like, "I got you. I am here for you. I'm holding you up." And like she's holding her hands and helping her learn how to skate. She's she's there, mm-hmm. and like you know, she's always going to be there. And that was important. Mm-hmm. Massive foretelling as well. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that wasn't there. Oh. But still, both enjoyable. Both things. Oh. Yes. Separate things. Different beasts. Enjoy them both. Yeah. The movie's very well acted as well. Yes. Every I think it was very well cast. Everybody was good. Enjoyed it. Yeah. I really did enjoy yeah. it. And if Wallace could be vomited on again. Fine. Two thumbs would be real. Yeah. All right. <laughs> is it time for Would You Rather? I think it is. <laughs> we asked on social media, you are 10 years old. Would you rather go to a roller skating party or a horse riding party? And on Facebook, roller skating one was 61%. On Instagram, roller skating one was 75%. On Twitter, roller skating one with 100%. And on TikTok, roller skating one with 56%. I am actually very surprised by those percentages, purely based on the many, many, many comments we got, all in favour of horses. Yeah. And the stereotypical love of horses as a child. Yeah. Um, I was very pleased with the responses from the library this time, and I wish that I could convince my library co-workers to participate on social media because they would have helped with these results because everyone at the library was like, horses, horses. And I was like, this is so insane because looking at the results on social media is like everybody's roller skating, but not at the library. Not at the library. Not at the library. You've got to be careful. Look at you know these library librarians that can be wily. They might come in one day on horseback. They might. <laughs> so comments. We have comments. 
We have a lot of comments. Vincent on Facebook says, horses are fucking huge. You wouldn't catch me on one of them. Drew on Facebook says, I have to represent the horse gang. Horse riding adventure all the way. Coral on Facebook said, when I was 10, I think that's all I did was go roller skating. So let's roller skating my hurt a little less when you fall. I don't know. I think you can get equally injured falling off a horse and falling while roller skating. Horse standing on you would hurt Yeah, more. you're probably right. You're probably right. Candy on Facebook said, because I went to both when I was younger and got trampled by the ladder, so she picks roller skating. One time under a horse was enough. Ooh. Colin on Facebook said, roller skating. I'd love to ride a horse, but 10-year-old me would have been fucking terrified of it. At least with roller skating, the only thing to be scared of is falling and shattering every bone in your body in front of all your friends and the girl you wanted to impress. Thus ruining your life for the remainder of your school days, being unable to learn the appropriate social skills, which in turn ruins any possibility of holding down a decent job, leading to an early death brought on by alcoholism and excess butter consumption. Nope, it's roller skating for me all the way. There's an entire story there. It sounds like there is. <laughs> it's the whole thing. It's the excess butter consumption. Really? That's curious. You know how expensive butter is now? Yeah. <laughs> That's serious. <sighs> Bree on Facebook says, if I'm 10 years old, I'm picking horses. Always horses. And this party is going to be a small and intimate trail ride with only my closest friends and camping and s'mores. And it'll be a magical adventure. They're not horses, Brie. They're unicorns, admit it. They are unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nutsies. Do I have to sing Constance's? I mean... I think I know the tune. Yeah? I might know this one. Constance on Facebook says, Yeah, I'm going to take my... Oh, I'm going to take my horse to the old town road. I'm going to ride it till I can't no more. I'm going to take my horse to the old town road. I'm going to ride it keel, keel, till I can't no more. That's the tune I think it is, but I'm not sure. I'll admit I didn't click the link. I I think she's singing a... I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I think it's that song. Uh, Either way, Constance, stop it. L20Kev on Instagram says, Horses can smell my fear. So, skating for me. Also, 10-year-old me would mean 1993 party music, which would be awesome. Completely. (laughs) Kandara Blake on Instagram says, Horses! Horses today, horses tomorrow, horses carry around gracefully, roller skates carry around face first into a wall. (laughs) That is definitely somebody who has experience. Yes. I love it when our author friends comment. <laughs> Makes me really happy. Yes. Speaking of. Speaking of, Ashlyn O'Loughlin writes on Instagram said, Horse riding. I feel like I've betrayed Abby and Gretchen saying that, though. You have. You have. You have. And you should be ashamed and you'll have to come on the show as penance. You will. Sorry. Deal with it. We don't make the rules, we just enforce it. 
We've got, there's uh, so many more comments. I don't think we have to read all of the rest of the comments. No. So many. No. I'm going to read some of your um, library ones, though. My favorite was, I'm really allergic to horses. I choose the horse party. <laughs> like that one, too. <laughs> I liked I'm 10 so horses scare the pookie out of me all skate (laughs) Hmm. so what are you doing are you roller skating I'm not going anywhere near a horse fuck that no (laughs) they're huge right so can't remember how old I was but we were down in the south west like cornwall devon area and you know the infamous dartmoor if you've ever done any kind of bronte association there's there's ponies on dartmoor wild ponies on dartmoor and you can park up and you can go and stroke the little fellas the teeny tiny little things i shit you not there was one that was going to eat me once, right? Is young Claire, little Claire, little baby Claire, probably about nine or ten. Little baby Claire went to you one and was like, Oh, hello, you're so cute. Oh, lovely. Pocket size for travel convenience. And then it looked at me and it started walking towards me. And I went, Oh, and then scarped back to the car with my mother and my brother laughing their asses off. Thanks. Going, it's gonna eat me! It's gonna eat me! Took a fantastic picture of that pony though. Got it somewhere. Don't know where. My mum's probably got it. It's wonderful. Freaking terrifying. I've never been on a horse and I respect them for that and they respect me for never being on the back of a horse. I used to be able to ice skate. I was quite good at ice skate. I couldn't do the tricks, but I was fast and I liked the speed. And I, I, I tried to roll a blade when I, was, when I was younger and didn't really go very far. But I really, really, really want a, new, a pair of roller blades with boots. I desperately want a pair of roller boots. And I've seen a pair that I desperately, desperately want. And when my knees have stopped being aging rickety crones, I'm going to buy a pair of roller boots and I am going to video diary me learning how to ski. That's fantastic. There's even a roller derby in my city and I'm so tempted to get in touch because I know somebody on the team. You know what? So I'm going to the roller skating party, fall on my ass a few times and then, you know, actually learn how to do it properly. Claire, I'll hold your hands and skate backwards. (gasps) I mean, I haven't skated in a few years, but I can still roller skate. I will hold your hands and we will roller skate together. Got the beat. We got the bait. We're going to do it. I'm definitely going to also pick roller skating. Um, I mean, we I grew up, we had horses. Um, so I've, I've ridden a horse. It's fine. Um, I stopped riding the time that uh, I was riding one called Barbie. It was a beautiful white horse. She had a long, flowing white mane. It was riding Barbie bareback, and she got spooked, and I almost flew off. Ooh. 
And also there was a time like we had we had horses and my neighbors had horses. And there was one time that one of the neighbor's horses got out of the fence. And so I was trying to lead it back and put it away. And I had carrots and I was offering carrots to the horse. And then the horse started chasing me and I ran. So that may be related to the Dartmoor pony. Maybe. Yeah. So I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a horse fan. Mm. So yeah, I'll roller skate. I mean, I'll put my skates on right now, and roller skate. I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring roller skates. We're gonna roller skate together. Yeah, but I mean, like when I was a kid, we went to the roller rink every week. I wish we had roller rinks. It was so much fun, and it was like lights and music, and you know, like I skating with my mom. And we would do the thing, like, where you hold hands and you spin in circles, like, in the middle of the floor with, like, music beats going and, like, disco lights. And those are good memories. We used to do that with my friends when I was younger, but on ice, on the ice rink. Freaking loved it. Yeah. I'm sure I gave myself concussion once because we skated really like towards each other and we didn't grab each other quick enough and we like bashed our heads and sent ourselves flying to the opposite ends of the rink and i swear we gave ourselves concussion but we're like what's that as 10 and 11 year olds wanted to bounce back from it was great because it was the leisure centre that doesn't exist anymore. And you used to go with your swimming costume underneath your clothes. And it wasn't until you were going to pay your money that you would decide if you were going to go swimming that Saturday morning or go ice skating that Saturday morning. So the amount of times me and my friends, when we didn't know what we were going to do, went ice skating with a swimming costume on underneath our clothes. That's so cute. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> It's a little chilly. <laughs> but oh, it's just such fun. It doesn't exist. It's just they tore down the leisure centre. So there's not even like a fun like play park kind of pool. It's just lame pools. Yeah. Boring. We like slides. There is still um there's still a couple roller rinks around here. There's one not very far away from where I live right now that's got roller skating on one side and an ice skating rink on the other side oh yeah so see we're going skating whenever you come and visit i haven't been ice skating in years but i would love to try again we're gonna eat waffle house we're gonna go skating the perfect day day. we've got so many plans claire (laughs) you're gonna have to be here for like three months to even get through half of the stuff we've talked about at least. All right. Shall we move on to our next Would You Rather Yes. Question? And this is very, very book specific. Okay. Would you rather only be able to listen to Madonna's Like a Virgin or Weird Al's Eat It? Eat It. Have some more chicken, have some more pie. <laughs> I'm gonna pick Weird Al's Eater. Yeah, you are. Yeah. I love Weird Al. <laughs> Weird Al's fantastic. Have you watched it? Yes, yet? it was the... so good. I watched it twice. I haven't seen it. 
Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm desperate to watch God, it. God, it's so good. It is so good. It's like, you have to watch it. I will. Apparently, I did watch an interview and the interviewer was saying, I didn't realise that Weird Al was the music producer, yes. the first music producer who turned him down. He was like, no, this is fucking stupid. And it was like, because he's wearing a wig. Yeah, it's so good. And like it's I adore Weird Al. Me too. He's so he's perfect in every way. Oh my god, we watched the movie. We watched it the night that it came out. And then we watched it again the next night at my parents' house. Because like it, my whole family was over. And when we put it on, my sister was like, Did he really date Madonna? And I'm like, no, it's satire. The whole thing is satire. It's just like his songs. He's he's satiring a biopic. But some of it is real though. Some of it is real. And it's knowing what's real and what's not. Yeah. So I'm just gonna take the entire thing with a pinch of salt because I don't know where you <laughs> story enough so good so good and daniel radcliffe is perfection daniel radcliffe is amazing because he just he's so freaking rich he can do whatever he he wants in roles and he picks the best things to do love it i'm gonna have to watch it you are it's so good what channel is it it's on the roku channel what? What? Yeah, that's Roku. all it's on. Roku. So, next question. Let's move on. Stop looking up where you can watch Weird Al. No. But Would everyone go and watch the Weird Al movie because it's so good. <laughs> Would you rather barf wriggling black feather creatures or tapeworm oh um it's gross it's gross uh i think for the cinematic value of it Mm. i'm gonna spew up the wriggling black feather creatures because also that's when she barfs on wallace and it was like comic huge like huge spews so that's what i'm gonna pick and the tapeworm like she was so sick she was it was a gag thing yeah so comedic value wriggling black feather creatures because that's oh that tapeworm i know and it's just just thinking about it and how much it has to 23 pounds of tapeworm. That there's like an entire bushel yeah. of tapeworms and not of tapeworms in there. Because they... she like had several packets or something like that. Yeah, like they talked about, you know, drinking this milkshake and it was, it, it had tapeworm eggs in and like... Oh, yeah, it was such a cool fad in the 80s. Like, and you just drink, like, maybe half of one milkshake. And she was drinking, like, in the book, there were, it was her, like, food diary for a little while. And she was drinking five, six milkshakes a day. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm I'm going wiggly black feather creatures and barfing all over Wallace yeah. as well. Oof. <coughs> 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 Should we move on? Yes. Yeah. Would you rather drink fresh urine or exceptionally expired coke? Well, I'm going to go for exceptionally expired coke because regardless of how fresh coke is, it's freaking vile. So whatevs. Oh, That Coke is expired for at least 20 years. And they I just. I don't care. It would taste the same. And they just crack it open like, oh, there's no way that it was still refreshing at all. Expired soda is disgusting. And you know. So is Coke. <laughs> no, look, I got mine right here. Here it is. Uh, uh, I'll stick with my water, thanks. I I honestly, not that I want to drink urine. But you get to drink urine. I'm, I guess, I think I'm going to pick urine because actually, let's be truthful here. It was water. It wasn't actually urine. The demon made her think it was urine. But there's no way he could change water into urine. No. But so, are you saying, would you rather drink fresh urine that's not actually urine? It's yeah, a thousand times glamoured water, a thousand times, or exceptionally expired coke. Yeah. Yep. I'm still toasting 1982. Screw it. <laughs> With enough vodka, everything tastes good. No. <laughs> Last question. This is a book versus movie Ooh, one. Okay. Would you rather get lost naked in the woods or get left behind in a haunted house? Either way, you are being possessed by a demon. <laughs> um, you do not get out of the demon possession. Um, I don't want to be naked in the woods. No. So I, I'm going to get left behind in a haunted house. So am I. And then... Once I've been exercised, it means I have a grumpy Dobby house elf. You do. You've got your little friend there. As a, as a little friend. You've got your little friend there at the end. <laughs> Set on fire. <laughs> hmm. That's good stuff. <sighs> it's really good. All right. Favorite final thought quote? Can I point out to everybody that I'm wearing an owl hat because owls are a big theme in the book and in the movie and a sign of the demon. <laughs> Not just because my mother knitted and it's very fabulous. It is a very good hat though, regardless. Regardless of the demonic reason you're wearing it. It's a very good hat. It is. Anyway, All right. Favorite final thought quote? Oh, I'll give you a couple let's get my brain my brains <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is how they always get in trouble on scooby-doo it is glee it's it is true 
Um, I'm so glad this line was also in the movie. I saw your face on a dog's butt. (laughs) (laughs) Which made me laugh. So 80s. And my last one. I will never give up because I want my friend back. Aww. Okay. What's yours? Um, let's see. Y'all want to talk to Satan? <laughs> Tets. Tets. Corn dogs, the exorcist said, are all the proof I need that there is a God. <laughs> I love that they went to corn dog on a stick in the mall. That was my favorite mall food. Corn dog on a stick. So good. There's freaking yogurt in the movie. Oh, I know. Oh, God. Mm-mm. No. Corn dog on a stick. The last corn dog I ever had, and I do like a corn dog, was at the Grand Canyon. Wow. I had one <sighs> at the beginning of October at the State Fair. Oh, I'd love to go to a state fair and get a funnel cake. Yep, that's something else. I've we're had funnel do. cake. I've had funnel cake in Disney World, and that was very delicious. I've had funnel cake a couple of times in Disney World, very delicious. Yeah, corn dog. At- corn dog at the state fair. Nice. All right. After we've skated there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Next quote. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I only <laughs> have one more, and I just I really liked this one. Um, it's a serious one. She could decide how she was going to be. She had a choice. Life could be an endless series of joyless chores, or she could get totally pumped and make it fun. There were bad things and there were good things, but she got to choose which things to focus on. I love that scene with Abby. I know, yes. For context, Glee, when they were younger, kept losing a retainer. And she lost her retainer on garbage. So Gretchen and Abby dig through rancid, cooked, disgusting garbage oh, to find a retainer. Yep. And it's at that moment Abby has her epiphany that she doesn't have to be there, but she chooses to be there. And she's going to start focusing on positive things. Yep. And then they like so have a to- disgusting garbage food fight and they have so much fun. And it reminds me of Zoolander <laughs> when they have the uh, a ridiculous gasoline the, fight. A gasoline fight, yes. Artemikus <laughs> gasoline fight accident. Yes, but that's what came to mind. So, and also, I mean, it's it's the eighties music. Oh yes, it's perfect. It's, oh. I knew it was a joke, me, because I just didn't get it right away. Ah, uh, <laughs> da, Earth to Brent. <laughs> we need to watch Zoolander we again. We do need to watch Zoolander. Damn, I love that. <laughs> All right. If you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest um, besides <laughs> Zoolander? Apart from watch Zoolander. You you recommend Zoolander. I will recommend the Weird Al movie. Weird. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. If you want a book, I'm going to recommend We Can Be Heroes by Kiwi McCauley. Um, 
This is from the epicreads.com 25 wire books that show friendship stories are just as powerful as relationship stories. Aww. Because you know, I hate us, a fictional hangover. We don't need romance in our books. No. We love found families I and do. friendship books. Yep. And I like this one. It's kind of got a little bit of the... It's got friendship, but it's got a little bit of a twist to it. Just like the My Best Friend's Exorcism. So... Beck and Vivian never could stand each other, but they always tried their best for their mutual friend, Cassie. After the town moves on from Cassie's murder too fast, Beck and Vivian finally find common ground. Vengeance. Yes, vengeance. They memorialise Cassie by secretly painting murals of her around the town. A message to the world that Cassie won't be forgotten. But Beck and Viv- Vivian are keeping secrets. Like the third passenger riding in Beck's VW bus with them. Cassie's ghost. <gasps> Twist. When the murals catch the attention of a podcaster covering Cassie's case, they become the catalyst for a debate that Bell Firearms can no longer ignore. With law enforcement closing in on them, Beck and Vivian hurry to give Cassie the closure she needs by delivering justice to those responsible for her death. Aww. You've got friendship. You've got some kind of mysterious paranormal activity taking place. And you have some kind of deeper political kind of meaning underneath that overrides it, which I think you do get in my best friend's exorcism mm. with the drugs and, you know, the, the talk satanic of the, panic and all <laughs> that stuff that was happening in the 80s. Yeah, uh, the religious aspects yeah. and everything. So and even like all the way through the book, the talk of, you know, oh, you're so queer or, or AIDS and all that kind of like hyper 80s um news front breaking yeah. news front news stuff so this had a lot of those similar veins i felt what is your recommendation apart from weird apart from I'm weird i am going to suggest i didn't go friendship i went exorcism because of, of course, course i'd be disappointed otherwise the devil you know by mike carey Felix Castor is a freelance exorcist, and London is his stamping ground. It may seem like a good ghostbuster can charge what he likes and enjoy a hell of a lifestyle, but there's a risk. Sooner or later, he's going to take on a spirit that's too strong for him. While trying to back out of this ill-conceived career, Castor accepts a seemingly simple ghost hunting case at a museum in the shadowy heart of London, just to pay the bills, you understand. But what should have been a perfectly straightforward exorcism is rapidly turning into the Who Can Kill Castor First show, with demons and ghosts all keen to claim the big prize. That's okay, Castor knows how to deal with the dead. It's the living who piss him off. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, fair. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a spotlight this week? We do. Uh, we have a new book that I read about. It's coming out in March of next year. It's called Pinata by Leopoldo Gout. And this is pegged as... Head full of ghosts meets hereditary. So, Ooh. all right. 
Carmen Sanchez is back in her home country of Mexico, overseeing the renovation of an ancient cathedral into a boutique hotel. Her teen daughters, Izel and Luna, are with her for the summer and left to fill their afternoons unsupervised in a foreign city. The locals treat the Sanchez women like outsiders, while Carmen's contractors openly defy and sabotage her work. After a disastrous accident at the construction site nearly injures Luna, Carmen's had enough. They're leaving. Back in New York, Luna begins acting strange, and only Izel notices the chilling changes happening to her younger sister. But it might be too late for the Sanchez family to escape what's been awakened. Ooh, Ooh they brought a demon back with them. Nuts. <laughs> Supposed to declare it and cross the border? Whoops. Oh. Customs. So that's you have to fill this form in. <laughs> that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda, and I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Dead Reckoning by Charlene Harris. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Changes are coming soon to Patreon, everyone! Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Exciting! Woo-hoo! Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. Did you say AIDS? You said AIDS. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for her music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.